1064 controller, man, that thing is just an abomination. It is. There's no. <laughs> there's no good way to hold it. In and to and to the people who defend it, the N64 is a terrible system. <laughs> But that doesn't mean I hate it, and that doesn't mean it doesn't have some great games. But it is a terrible system from so many perspectives. Bing. The controller is a huge one. And to the people who defend it, who are like, oh, but I played Ocarina of Time, I played Smash. So did I, folks. Okay, I would play them at my friend's house. I own those games now. Actually, I don't own Smash because it's expensive now. But I do, you have to understand, those games were purpose-built with the N64, with that controller in mind. Hello everyone, welcome back, or welcome to another episode of the Feeding Curiosity Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. Feeding Curiosity explores human experience. Through conversations, we can learn from other people with their ideas, their habits, routines, and anything else they've picked up along the way. It's through these conversations that we can have blueprints to live better in any form. I hope you look at your own life with just a little bit more curiosity. Today joining me on the podcast is Brandon Wenzel. Brandon is my cousin, as you could probably guess just by the title of the podcast. And honestly, this is was a treat of a podcast for me. So Brandon is a couple years older than me, but growing up, we all had very similar shared interests. And as is normal in our family, or at least seems to be more normal, Wenzels have this proclivity to collect something, whatever it may be. So for Brandon, his big thing is retro gaming consoles. So that can be really old consoles from the first generations of Atari and Sega, but really his, what is closest to his heart is the PlayStation. In this conversation, I knew we'd have many things to talk about, but this was a treat to understand what it was like for Brandon to grow up being a little bit older than me and how technology has evolved for him and why he is so attached to video games in the way that he is. Outside of that, we touch on a few other things that he really enjoys with the love of food and talking about martial arts toward the end of this conversation. In all, this conversation was something for me that I really just enjoy being able to do. It's finding something people are passionate about and just try to unpack as much of why they find it fun for whatever reason it is. I think we did a really good job here to just talk about why certain things are just intrinsically meaningful to us. I hope at the very least when you're listening to this conversation is what are the things that you just do because you love doing it? And have you ever been able to tell someone about that thing? And don't be afraid to share those because it's through those things that you really care about that people see who you truly are. And so with that, everyone, Please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with my cousin, Brandon Wenzel. All right. Brandon, how's it going? It's going good, Eric. How you doing? Pretty good, man. We've been talking for, I don't even know, last hour or something like that. Just catching up for old times, and I'm like, we got to start recording before we don't, and just talk about all the interesting things. And I think the best part to start this conversation would just be talking about, I want to say childhood interests, but realistically, childhood interests, especially in our family, don't stay childhood interests (laughs) they they just continue and morph into different hobbies over time but for me it was like growing up because you're my older cousin I was always knew knew you of as the person who liked could draw and was creative broadly but also was into like Mega Man and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yeah and so the 
my first question, long way to intro that is just, do you remember what it was about those things that captured your interest? Absolutely. So with Mega Man, I actually initially was not super interested in him. The first Mega Man game that I ever owned, I still remember this somehow, I got as a birthday present as a kid. I don't remember how young I was, but I was young. It was at the point where you could still get like new Nintendo games in stores. So I was young. Uh, And I believe Aunt Lisa got it for me, if I'm not. And it was Mega Man 6, which was the last one that was released on the original uh, Nintendo Entertainment Center. And I didn't even own an NES at that point. (laughs) I was playing your dad. Or equivalently on my mom's side of the family, I would play like my Aunt Diane's or something. Mm -hmm. But but it was vicariously mine because I was a little kid. The only one playing it. And so at that point in time, I really didn't have like focus when it came to gaming like I just enjoyed playing games so I never played games with the express intention of trying to beat them Mm. Uh, I just played them till either I died or whatever attracted my five-year-old brain it was just too hard for you to continue I I guess I got far enough yeah (laughs) I'd play Super Mario's Brothers until I'd run out of lives or whatever and then I'd just move on to something else and I just I had a nice little variety of games that weren't even necessarily my own because, again, a lot of them belonged to, like, your parents. Mm -hmm. Other people would bring stuff over after they weren't interested. Oh, excuse me. And I had a lot of things to play, and I just would play whatever. And so Mega Man 6, it fell into that where it was just, like, I played it for a little bit. It was like, oh, this is neat. And then, again, five-year-old Brandon Brain was just like, ooh, (laughs) something shiny. And that was what I went with. So it wasn't uh, for a few years when I was like maybe six or seven or so, the school that I went to, uh, Messiah, they had a downstairs area where if you were like in a situation like where I was, where my dad couldn't, because of his job, he couldn't always pick me up. So you could hang out downstairs for an hour, two hours, whatever, until they could come grab you if you didn't want to walk home. Mm -hmm. And they had a Nintendo down there. And they had a little group of community games. And then people could also bring in their own stuff. And one day I went over there and I was, somebody was already playing on it and he was playing this game with this little blue guy and (laughs) going over there in this level full of bones and stuff. And, and I was just like, Oh, that's cool. And everything. And the game in question was Mega Man four. He was in skull man stage. And I just remember seeing this and just being like, oh, this is really cool. And he's like, yeah, it's a robot. And I love robots. When you're a kid, especially not to gender appropriate or whatever, but generally if you're a boy, robots are probably going to be some part of your thing. (laughs) Trains as well, construction equipment, whatever. I was all about the robots and stuff. And they let me play a little bit and everything. And then I went home and I was like, oh my God, I own one of these games. And so I, sure enough, I popped it in and there was like a distinct change in my in what I wanted to achieve at that point because I had something whereas I enjoyed a lot of games you know Zelda and all that stuff and they're all great classics I never went in with the like I said with the express intention of trying to beat them I would just play till I got tired of it or whatever but I had something where I could really gravitate to this character and to the world that he was in and Mm -hmm. the robots and stuff and so I was like I want to beat this game I want to get to the end of this game And I played it all the way through, 
literally with not understanding the mechanic for anyone who might not be aware <laughs> there's a mechanic in the Mega Man games where basically you have a rock paper scissors type of situation where if you beat one boss that boss's weapon is good against another boss and so on and so forth I wasn't aware of that so I beat every boss with my Mega Buster in the, the original <laughs> run up until one of the you uh, did like a trial round yeah, without just, even I realizing mean, it yeah not even yeah and it wasn't until I got quite a bit later in the game where I realized there's actually a boss where you have to use one of the one of the sub weapons and but it was the first video game that I ever beat wow. uh, was Mega Man 6 and I just I really enjoyed it and I was like man this is number six there's more of them let's do this and I believe if I'm not mistaken I was with your father uh, we went to Oh, if not a Best Buy, like a Best Buy equivalent at that time, maybe a Venture or something like that, <laughs> and got Mega Man for me. I actually didn't even beat that game until, I think, two years ago. I Yeah, because it was it got really hard at the end for me. I, I don't know if that... I don't have gamer cred, so what am I worried about? My Mega Man cred, we'll go with that. But yeah, it just it got really difficult at the end, and I just... I enjoyed it, but I wasn't willing to put that much more time into mm. it. Because by that point in time, you already had, like, the Sega Genesis and stuff like that and everything, so I... Things were starting to accelerate. Yeah, exactly. And it, as absurd as it is now to think, I, I was very much purview to the point in time when Sega was not only challenging Nintendo, but they were absolutely starting to tear them to shreds and make the fat Italian plumber look pretty lame compared to their super fast hedgehog. Do you have a... A favorite of the two between oh, Mario or... Oh, dude. It's overall, you... there. For me, there's no denying that Mario wins out because in terms of quality of games, Nintendo has done a substantially better job with their IPs than, mm. than Sega did because Sega killed it in the 16-bit generation. I think all four of the, the main Sonic games, one, two, and three, and then Sonic and Knuckles, which mm -hmm. is basically a half a game with three... But I think they're all fantastic games. After that, though, they really struggled to bring Sonic into things. And mm -hmm. it wasn't until really the Dreamcast, when you had the Sonic Adventure games, that he got back some of his mojo. But then the Dreamcast failed, and Sega became exclusively a software publisher. And it, it just became a thing, or developer slash publisher, but they weren't mm -hmm. making hardware anymore. And it just became a thing where it's, I still love Sonic. I still think he's fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, there's no denying. Just from who won yeah, the just, longevity game. It, just in terms of, and then, like I said, just in terms of the quality. Because there are certainly terrible Mario games. Some of the notable ones, you know, Mario is missing. And things like that were usually done by like third parties. Yeah, definitely. But usually, when it came to Mario and to their main IPs, Nintendo's done such a great job of you know quality control. that it's, I love Sega more as a company. Mm -hmm. I think they were a lot more uh, bold with the things that they did than Nintendo a lot of times. But in terms of just the overall, it's, yeah, you got to give it to Nintendo. Mm -hmm. I think that they just won out. And then in regards to uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles thing, that really was just a thing where it was just, it was so prevalent at the time. And it's been such yeah, I feel a, like that was the heyday of, yeah. oh, absolutely. <laughs> of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and to their absolute credit, they've managed to endure and continuously reinvent themselves. There's always a new cartoon or whatever. But mm -hmm. back then, man, it was a whole thing. And they had the movies and like the stuff. So it wasn't even, whereas the Mega Man thing was a bit more esoteric. It took a little bit longer to get there. With Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it was just like, if you were a kid 
around that time. Especially and, a boy, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you weren't into Ninja Turtles. Then you were like the biggest nerd at school. So it's, you didn't have an option. And then on top of that, they were turtles, which was cool. They were ninjas, which everything was ninjas at that point. It was <laughs> awesome. And it was just, it was super cool. And then I loved that the whole thing. But they had such a great setup for creating new rogues gallery characters. Because mm-hmm. all it took was, dude, we got green ooze, throw it on a bug or throw it in the past or do whatever. And then you got a new character. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. And so then on top of that, I had your dad enabling me because he would go out <laughs> and he would get me like lots of like, toys and the figures. And oh, stuff so like this that. is pathological for oh, my dad. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> you guys don't realize like before you and your brother came along, like I was, and I'm not trying to you know upsell myself here, but I was the golden child for a little bit because the only ones who came before me were Uncle Art's kids. And they were not around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was just everybody doted on me. And then when you and your brother came around, like there was a marked drop off where it's just, wow, my Christmases are not as cool as they used to. But hey, that's just, that's part of life. I'm not bitter about it. I eventually I got around to it with some therapy and stuff like that. But yeah, and so I used to, I I want to say I still probably have it somewhere, but at one point in time, if I don't still have it, I had a, a Polaroid picture. Or no, it wasn't even Polaroid. I think it was like from a disposable camera where on the, the kitchen, the kitchen table over at grandpa and grandma's house, I think like my dad and your dad, they went over there and they set up like all the Ninja Turtles figures that I had. That's awesome. Uh, and took a picture of it. And it, it was just, I crang like the big one. And like, just, if you could find a photo of that, send oh, it to dude, me so it, I can yeah, put it in the I'll, description. That's so cool yeah, to just it, have an old photo like that. If it's still somewhere around, it might be somewhere in dad's stuff or it might be in a box of mine, but yeah, I'll see if I can locate it. Cause I still distinctly remember it in my head. So that's so cool. Either way. Um, I mean, yeah. Cause you don't see that kind of stuff. When I was going through some of my dad's old stuff recently, I found like a whole bunch of old photos. Most of, which were people that I never met, so didn't have any context for me. But there were some of the family and stuff. You know, I had a picture of myself and grandpa, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. But I had one. This is before you and Nick even came along, where in the front room of grandpa and grandma's house, they had this little wooden, like, cubby hole set up mm-hmm. for my toys. Oh, wow. And I found a picture of this cubby hole setup that I had with uh, a bunch of my Transformer toys, just, you know, <laughs> like putting in the thing. And I, when I saw that, it like just flooded back all these memories. Yeah. Putting little robot toys in there and being like, oh, yeah, no, they're at war and they're doing all this stuff. <laughs> the elaborate stories and yeah. all those things. It's so interesting, right? Because I even still remember a lot of the figures that I had when I was little. Most of them were like dinosaurs, as was my thing back yeah. then. But it's the... Ways of entertaining yourself has evolved so much in the short amount of time that we've been on this planet. So it feels like almost a different history. It's such a cool, I don't know if it's cool, I guess it depends on where you're coming from. But it's, like you said, it's very interesting because it's, we are at a point where toys are, toys are still obviously a very prevalent thing. But it's gotten to the point now where, and I I know this from my own experience because I still collect some of these things, Mm -hmm. it has become a thing where it's, if there's new Transformers toys or whatever that are coming out, it's not the little kid going over there. It's it's collectors going over there Mm -hmm. and being like, I got it. And again, I, I have that aspect of myself when it comes to certain things. And... I'm guilty too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And uh, I'm sure there was some of that when we were growing up and everything, but I don't think it was anywhere near as prevalent. I think that maybe not us, maybe Generation X, uh, Mm -hmm. if you will. A little bit younger. Yeah, maybe they were. Or older, sorry. Older, yeah. Maybe they were the first generation to really have it be a thing, but you've had this transition from now that there's 
a lot of free time available. And obviously we have all, you know, types of conveniences and things like that and stuff where you have people like myself, like yourself and everything where we can go over there and we can be adults to varying levels. I make no claim of being a good adult, (laughs) but I'm legally an adult. I've been legally an adult for a while, but we can still engage in these things that are typically childish. And it's for different reasons. I collect these things more as display items than to go over there and come up with crazy scenarios to put them in and stuff like that. And I'm not going to put them underwater or anything (laughs) like that. But they're just these things that are cool to have that are indicative of my enjoyment and in some cases nostalgia some cases modern stuff what have Mm -hmm. you and so it it has become that thing whereas with younger kids now like they have so many more options available to them i I still remember and this was probably like eight years ago something like that Mm -hmm. when i was still at my gas station job And I worked overnight at a gas station for a number of years. And sometimes I would get people who'd come in at night who, for whatever their situation might be, would seek shelter for an hour or two or what have you. And at one point in time, we had- That's fascinating. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it led to some interesting situations. Not all of them pleasant. But we had one where a lady came in with her her daughter. And I knew the the lady. I hadn't met her daughter before, but she'd been coming in for a while. And I guess she'd split with the guy that she was with and she just needed a place to stay until her ride could come pick her up. And I was like, that's fine. And so her daughter was over there and she's a little kid and she's in a gas station at 2 a.m. She doesn't really have much to go off of. And went over there and I let her grab a couple candies and stuff like that. But eventually she got to the point where she just meandered back behind the counter. And I was like, "Eh, all right, I don't think she's going to rob me. So we'll go with it. And she was adorable, and she was just, you know, she was, do you have any games? And I'm like, uh, mm. And I had my, you and I were talking about it a little bit before we started this, and my PSP at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I do actually have my PSP with me, because I wasn't very attentive at my job most of the time. <laughs> and... And so I went over there and I started it up for her and everything. And I, I did not have any games that were well suited for a little girl. It was something <laughs> to occupy her mind. And she played like the couple games that I had. And I still remember she went over there and she's just, she's like, do you have any other games? And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I just have the two. I'm like, this is, this is an old person video game console. I just have the two that, that are there. <laughs> Do you have any phone games? No, I don't have any phone. And again, this was like eight years ago. Smartphones and stuff were still a thing, but nowhere near as, as prevalent as they no. are now. But that's the world that they have. They just have instant access to that stuff from a, a young age, and they're able to adapt to it very quickly and everything. Whereas comparatively, going back to when I was a kid, man, I was over there trying to play Nintendo. I'm blowing into the cartridge. I'm smacking the thing. I'm like, go, just play. I want to do the thing. And, uh, and we get annoyed now when things crash on your computer or whatever. If you're over there, not to, you know, turn into a get off my lawn guy, but it's, it's yeah, it's one of those things. I remember being in the computer lab in middle school and if you're over there searching on the internet before Google or any of that stuff, and if it went over there and it took an extra 10 minutes for a page to load, all right, that was a thing. That just was a thing. Nobody thought differently of it. Whereas comparatively, if I'm on my phone and I'm trying to get to a different tab and it goes over there and takes three extra seconds, my phone is, it's not working. Do you want to get rid of it? And I'm like, yeah, just get rid of it. Just whatever. Let's just move on <laughs> to whatever. I'll work it out later. The things that change, one of the things that brought reminded me of too, is like bridging the gap between collecting and action figures and then like technology. But it's one of the things that's always been interesting for me is now that technology is going more and more digital, mm-hmm. 
I feel like there's something missing where it's like when you pay for something and it's just digital, it just exists on your hard drive. Or even if it's like most games nowadays, when you buy a game, as long as that game exists on a server, you keep your things like your progress. But if that thing ever goes away or they turn off the lights in quotes, then you never ha- don't have it anymore. Whereas all the games that you have, and I guess nowadays you'd be considered like a retro gamer, which sounds yeah. weird. Like you have all these old systems and the collections of different games now that yeah. if that decided to get deleted or they're not serving it anymore, you'd never have it. Yeah. And yeah, and it's, yeah, I am definitely at this point in my life a uh, retro gamer, though I want to <laughs> clarify in full hipster fashion <laughs> that I was a retro gamer before retro gaming was a thing. I was a retro gamer before I realized I was a retro gamer. I was just poor, and I, d- <laughs> I didn't have the means to go over there and buy like the brand new system whenever it came out. I would have to wait a few years. So I became very familiar with the idea of keeping my games and my systems. And I still remember too, like the really like the, the turning point, I guess you could say where I, I could have gone down that darker path of getting rid of all my systems mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And just buying the new things back when Funko land was still a thing, which predated, yeah. predated GameStop and everything like yep. that. But it served basically the same purpose at the time. Didn't it become GameStop? The way I have always understood it is that there were two companies, specifically uh, Funko Land and a company called Babbage's. And they were both basically the same kind of thing where they sold and resold games and s- sold nerdy stuff. There used to be a Babbage's in the St. Charles Mall back when there was anything in the St. Charles Mall. And they merged and okay. then became GameStop. And then GameStop eventually beat out EB Games and stuff oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, man. Know, they, they became about the thing. And Funko Land used to have these commercials back in the day, I'm sure they're available on YouTube or what have you, where it's like somebody would go over there and from off screen, these handful of old Nintendo games, NES games would, they push them forward and someone behind the counter would go over there and grab them and hand them back like this giant stack of money. (laughs) And I remember there was a point in time when I was like probably about 10 years old or so and I knew there was a Funko Land kind of a ways away, but I knew we had one. And I was like, I'd like to buy some PlayStation games and some things and stuff. I've got this old Nintendo and I've got some games and everything. And I wasn't going to get rid of the ones that I really liked. Naturally. Yeah. But I was like, I'll see. And so I called them up and man, oh man, I would, I, I, if I could find the person who answered my 10 year old call, <laughs> I'd love to, if they have any recollection of that, because here I am 10 year old Brandon and I'm over there and I'm like, I have a Nintendo and I have this game and this game and this game and this game. And how much would you guys give me for it? And I don't, I'm guessing they didn't bother punching it into the computer. They probably just gave me a roundabout thing. Yeah. And they're like, we'd give you 20 bucks for it. And even at 10 years old, I'm like, that's a jip. No, sorry, Bob, this is a scam. <laughs> And, and that's not, I'm not, I've worked at a GameStop briefly and so not to hate on GameStop or anything like that. Those people have lives and careers and stuff. But yeah, I realized real early on, <laughs> man, this is not a good jam. And throughout the course of my life, I've been very uh, reluctant to go over there and get rid of a lot of these things because I know I'm not going to get anything back for it. And, and I remember when the PS2 came out, I had so many friends and stuff, kids in my class and everything. They were like, oh, dude, why are you going to keep your original PlayStation? Like, the PS2 can play PS1 games anyway. It's, it's a thing. And I'm sure I had some kind of made-up argument at the time. But again, <laughs> real argument was, am poor. Do not have money for that. <laughs> but 
it ended up being a thing. It ended up being a moot point anyway, because almost every person I knew who bought a PS2 sold their PS1 and all their PS1 games. So what did the backwards compatibility aspect of that matter to you? It just, it was like, so why? And so for me personally, I, I, like I said, I just hung on to those things and I did. And this is a thing. And, and other people have talked about this. It is a thing where it's this cycle where it's, you go over there and you do the school stuff, whatever, and everything. And then around the time you get in your twenties or so is usually when people have a job, well, maybe you're making a little bit of money or whatever. And that's when you see like this upsurge in like buying back your childhood. And in my case, I didn't have as far to go as most people because I hung on to so much of it. So at that point, I just went from rebuying my childhood because I'd never gotten rid of it in the first place to just basically making up for the fact that again, was poor. So it was like, cool, I can go over there and buy all these games and all these things that I wanted to do that I couldn't afford as a kid. And so I went over there and I expanded a little bit. And then as gaming and stuff became ever more prevalent on the internet and more and more people were talking about it, I became like so much more, my horizons became so much broader mm-hmm. to like just all this stuff that like I had, I lived through that I didn't realize. So just all these like systems that came and went, you know, the Panasonic 3DO and weird, you know, I didn't even know Panasonic made a console. <laughs> oh man. It's a whole thing because they made like, I won't go into the whole thing cause it would take a while to go into, but yeah. anybody listening or whatever, it's really interesting to look into because they personally didn't do it. 3DO was a company and they licensed the technology out to other companies to make the systems. Oh, interesting. So Panasonic had one, which is probably the most known one. It's the one that I have. But then you also had, I think like Gold Star had one and like they were all 3DOs because their whole model at the time was based off the idea of basically like DVD players and stuff where you don't, you have competing companies, but DVD players all do the same thing. Yeah. 3DO's idea was let's make that but gaming. Okay. And it doesn't work that way realistically because of logic, but that was a you know business model that they gave a shot to. And that's how I ended up going from basically just a poor kid who couldn't really afford to go over there and buy a lot of stuff. So I had to hang on to my things to going over there and more actively becoming an actual collector Yeah, and going over there and being like, like I said, a lot of things that I would look into and stuff were things that either I had played Mm -hmm. when I was younger that I couldn't afford or wanted to play, but again, couldn't afford where I got eventually got to a point where it's like, no, I've pretty much picked all that (laughs) stuff up, but there's a lot of other stuff that I wasn't yeah. aware of and things. And so I just expanded. It's almost like you have a historic, like it's almost like a historian, like with and, the and, technology spread of gaming yeah. consoles. And it's and that probably, I actually do have a love of history and everything. And it was always one of my better subjects in school. So I'm sure I mean, I genuinely getting into gaming, YouTube videos, AVGN and you mm-hmm. know, all that stuff. A lot of that stuff, although I enjoyed the humor of it, a lot of it at first, especially was just the historical context. Mm-hmm. And I loved learning about this stuff and everything and just being like, oh, like the, the first like true 32-bit system was the Fujitsu FM or FM Towns Marty <laughs> that only came out in Japan and failed spectacularly. <laughs> I have to own one now. <laughs> so, because it, it plays to my love of not only the 32-bit era, but then also video gaming. And then it's also just extremely obscure, which I pride myself on enjoying obscure things. <laughs> So eventually, yeah, I, I now own a... Somehow you, you get your hands on one? Yeah, you get into gaming groups and stuff like that, and you 
talked to people for years about trying to get one and they're like, well, it'll be $800. And I'm like, I'm not paying you $800 for it. That's not going to happen. And then one day you run into a guy and he's like, yeah, I got one. It works. Doesn't have a controller or anything, but it's not $800. And I'm like, all right, cool. Let's, <laughs> I got a little money to burn. We'll do that. And still don't have a controller for it because controllers cost like $200. Oh my God. But I have it and it works and it's neat. And at some point in time, I will hopefully run into a significantly discounted controller at some point <laughs> and be able to actively play it. But that's just the thing. It just, it all very much tied into you know, my interests and then it just all compounded on itself. And yeah, I, I ended up, I have, uh, I did a count just recently. I've got, uh, depending on how you look at it, I have in theory, not counting handhelds, 25 systems. My ColecoVision doesn't work. So if you want to discount that one, 24, and then with the Genesis, it had two add-ons, the 32X and the Sega CD, depending. Some people count those as separate systems. Some mm. people count them as strictly add-ons. So then if you count those as add-ons, then minus those two. But, gotcha. But yeah, so I, I, I have all this just weird hardware and stuff that, for me, it's just neat. And it, it, it went from being something where, and I think most collectors get to this point once you become a collector, it goes from a point of being something strictly for practical enjoyment <laughs> to eventually just mild obsession where you're just like, okay, I just need to, okay, I just need to dial it back a little bit and I won't end up on like a lifetime special or something like that. As long as you can avoid that, I think you're good. <laughs> so for me, that's, that's the thing. That's why as much as I do enjoy every system that I own to varying degrees, because some of the game selection is terrible, but it's just cool to have. My PlayStation collection is, that's my baby, because that's my favorite system. It's That's my whole thing. So mm -hmm. that's the one where it's like, oh, I've got 175 games for that one, and they're all wow. games that I would play, because I really... And mind you, I say that, and then it's like, of course, they'll, if anybody's listening and who has any gaming acumen, inevitably there will be someone who'll go over there and be like, I have 9,000 games on Steam, <laughs> and it's, I don't care! I have physical things. <laughs> and that's going back to your point where, yeah, it's, and it really is this thing. And it's, I never, I, I used to be much more annoyed with the whole digital aspect and I'd fanboyed for the physical stuff because I'm a huge consumer of physical media, not only video games, but like films and stuff. I'm, I'm one of the people who's keeping DVDs and Blu-ray alive, folks. So where's my metal? I'm just saying <laughs> every time you go to Walmart or wherever and you get it, it's because of me. For me personally, and I don't, I, I'm not, actively against digital stuff or anything like that. I do have a few games downloaded on my PlayStation 4 and stuff. But for me personally, it's like you were saying, there's a tangible nature to it where it's just, yeah, you own it digitally and that's great and it's a thing, but okay, like you were saying, if famously you had the, the situation with Konami and the game PT, where they went over there, it was basically a teaser game for a game that was going to come out and it didn't come out because <laughs> Konami's terrible. And if you downloaded it, it was a free download and everything. Wow. A lot of people really liked it, but then eventually Konami just decided to completely eradicate it as a thing. Hmm. So if you own it on a digital end, that's great. But if you owned it at one point and deleted it, you have no access to it ever again. Mm -hmm. You know, unless Konami decides to re-release it somehow. Yeah. For me personally, when it comes to those things, you know, and, and the reality of course is there's a limit to physical media as well. Being a big PlayStation fan and owning quite a bit of disc games, I'm ever terrified of disc rot, although thankfully I don't mm. think any of my stuff has succumbed to it yet. What is that? I've never oh, heard of that. Yeah, disc rot, because the thing is, physical stuff is great. It's physical. You can touch it. You can hold it. You can go over there and point it at a puppy, and it'll look confused at you. <laughs> But 
it is still a tangible thing and tangible things will eventually break down. Mm-hmm. And with cartridges, with the NES and the older stuff and everything, that's all hardware. It's in software format, but it's all hardware. It's all actual physical stuff and everything. And so those are pretty sturdy. But as time goes by from just uh, environmental things creeping in, eventually they will all fail. You can go over there and replace things and do whatever. Eventually it's going to wear out and it's going to fail. With disc-based games, the timeline is, and I say this because it is something of contentious point. Some people say it's not a real thing, but enough people who know things have said it's a thing. Mm-hmm. I go with their opinion. When it comes to discs and you know disc-based media, not only games, but CDs and what have you, as time goes by, they wear out. They were never intended to be something, you know, Sony didn't put out this stuff with the idea that you were going to go over there and hang on to it for decades. They just wanted to sell it and then it hopefully wouldn't They break. didn't think of longevity studies yeah, or whatever. To- exactly. And they're, and I'm not even talking about like scratches or things like that, mm-hmm. but they're relatively delicate in terms of like their overall construction. It's things that are microns thin going through the plastic and stuff like yep. that, having that information. Eventually... As time goes by, even if you never play it, even if it's sealed, whatever you, they will eventually start to break down. Hmm. And again, exactly what the timeline is on it is really debatable. Some people have said that basically older CDs at this point, a lot of them should be starting to break down. I know I have some older CDs. Mine seem to all work just fine. But it is a thing. And for anyone who, if you're a collector or what have you, the way that you can tell is if you go over there, if you take the game and you point it up to a light, if you see any spots where the light can actually come directly through, meaning that it went over there, the uh, the top coating of it mm-hmm. has degraded to such an extent, that's disc rot. And at that point in time, you it's you can't resurface it, you can't do anything. There's nothing, this is yeah. lost. It's You might be able huh. to play the game to a point, it might, might have varying levels of effect on it or what have you, but something isn't going to work properly because now that part of the disc just isn't going to work properly. That's so fascinating. Yeah. So it's, it broke my heart when I first heard about it because I was like, no. Right. No, I was like thinking to myself, like, is there a way to restore things I, and preserve them in any way? A special atmosphere? I'm not sure. The way that I've always understood it is the best chance for it to extend the longevity of it as long as possible is it's basically for any type of collectible thing. Just keep it in a cool, not damp environment. And that'll... Out of and, direct sunlight, exactly, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely out of direct sunlight. That's going to give you your best chance of those games holding on for as long as possible. And it's... Like I said, it's a thing. And I'm definitely going to look that up because I it makes sense just yeah. logically, but, but yeah, I did never thought about it. Nobody, <laughs> and, and that kind of goes back to, again, the physical moving into the digital. So that's what the music industry, the... Uh, film industry and all that stuff. They're clearly pushing for that end of things. Mm-hmm. So of course you think about it because just like at this point, how many people hung on to their VHS collections? Not too many. You transfer mm-hmm. to DVD, lots of advantages, very few disadvantages. And you just went with that. And then maybe you went from DVD to Blu-ray depending. And again, it's these companies and they're not 
doing it with the idea. It's not like they're uh, Apple or anything where they <laughs> go over there and build these things to break. It's just, they built them to work for however many years. And then eventually they were going to degrade. They so, probably just assumed some sort of lifetime of the console yeah, and said exactly. five years. Sounds good. Do you think it'll last that long? Exactly. Probably. And that's, <laughs> Oh yeah. And that's absolutely, that's absolutely how video game consoles and stuff are designed where it's again, whether you, cause to a point you in Nintendo, is probably the best when it comes to this, to their credit. They love to over-engineer stuff. I, like, I take apart my systems on... You yeah, know, you cleaned them. I was yeah. going to bring that. I couldn't remember if it was you or my coworker who um, is like an expert at re, like refurbishing, I guess. I am certainly not an expert, <laughs> but I am a guy who happens to have screwdrivers. <laughs> and when I ha- occasionally have time, I will go over there and use said screwdrivers to open these things up. And for the most part, that's genuinely all it takes. I used to actually do it when I worked up at the gas station at night because I'd have hours of time. And again, I was not very attentive. It's not like Um, it's called high traffic, though. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And people would be like mesmerized by my ability to go over there and work on this stuff and everything. I'm like, dude, I have some plastic gloves to potentially go over there and hopefully go over there and eliminate any static shock. I have about five different types of screwdrivers, most of them Phillips head. And I have a can of compressed air. And a toothbrush. That's literally all it takes to go over there and do most of this stuff. With Nintendo, you do need a special bit for most of their uh, systems. They have a specific one. The OG Xbox, the freaking one that weighs a metric ton. The the big heavy boy. It is the only (laughs) system I have ever given up working on. Really? Yes, because, oh, never mind the fact I, 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 I do own one. It is part of my collection, but... It is, I have never been a huge Xbox fan, especially the OG one. Yeah, I just didn't think. It's a monster. (laughs) All it is a PC with cartridge, or not cartridge, controller ports. That's all it is. And they built it like that. And so I never worked on one. I got mine, my first one uh, at a Goodwill for $15. I always Amazing. I always used to make the joke that I wouldn't take one even if it were free. And then one day Goodwill called my bluff and they're like, it's $15. It comes with a controller, all the cords. And I was like, ah, fine. And to be fair, it does. I, I make fun, but it does have some love in my collection. And everything. Jade Empire. It, That's the one game I, that came to my mind about it. Jade, like, I actually <laughs> just picked that game up last week. Not even joking. It does have, it does genuinely, it is not just a Halo box. That's the sad thing is that's kind of what it's remembered for. Yeah, for uh, sure. That and like KOTOR. Yep. That's right. I'm, Jet Empire and Nice Little Republic. Yeah. Those are the two and, games that... <laughs> and for me personally, I'm not the biggest Halo guy. I played some games and stuff, but... And I'm... A, I'm I'm typically a Star Trek person. I do... I'm fine with, with the wars, but it's not my go-to thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I have a hamster... It's like Harry Potter versus Lord of the Rings. Yeah. You're one or the other. <laughs> I, I have a hamster named Chekhov. I clearly drew my line in the sand. <laughs> And so I, I do love, I do have some love for the Xbox because it does genuinely have some good games that are very cool and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just don't get a lot of love. They've just been abandoned as the years have gone by. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I went over there and I took the thing. And especially at that point in time, I, I was just taking apart all my stuff and seeing what, what, what it could, looked like. Because again, going back to being poor, when I was a kid, if a system broke down, I couldn't go ask my dad for a new Dreamcast. I had to figure mm-hmm. out what was wrong with it and make it go again. So that's what, hopefully, yeah, <laughs> generally pretty successfully. Although, wow, you know, that's pretty good. Yeah. And mind you, again, not on any genius part of my end. It was just like, take apart, clean, laser. <laughs> Put back together, go? Mm-hmm. Question mark? <laughs> Yay! And that Look was, for dust? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And genuinely, that is a lot of what 
causes systems issues. It's just built up crap. Mm-hmm. And but I went over there, <laughs> man, and I got that Xbox, and I went to take it apart. And it was a huge hassle just to get the whole thing going. Because right off the bat, it has pads on the bottom for if you're placing it on something. The screws to get into it are underneath the pads. And that in and of itself, Mm. the PS2 has that too. But the PS2s are specifically designed so you can take them off and put them back on. The Xbox is not like that. You have to tear them off. And then if you want to put them back on, you have to glue them back on yourself. So that annoyed me anyway. And then I had to go over there and take the whole thing out. Only to, when I got to uh, the point of trying to disassemble it, it had these weird, like, starfish bits Mm. that I'd never seen before. And I was like, man, okay. And I'm talking, like, yeah, I have, like, my main little group of screwdrivers. Torch bits. Yeah. Oh. And I have my main little group of screwdrivers, but I also have a whole bunch of different bits and stuff like that from my dad and Mm. just uh, different sets. And I went through the whole thing, and I didn't have one. So I had to go to... uh, uh, like an Ace Hardware, and I had to specially buy three of these things, and it cost me like $10 for some reason. <laughs> and I had to go over there, so I was like, all right, fine. So I bought them, and I put it in, and I went over there, and I took out the first little layer of protection, and then I went over there, and I got to the other one, and it was the same freaking design, but bigger. And none of the three that I had bought fit it. And I was like, done! That's the end. <laughs> Sorry, Xbox. I hope you work forever because I'm never going to open you. You've made me so mad. It's so common. Yeah. For anything that they don't want you to tamper with, they oh, typically yeah. use those bits because the average consumer doesn't have those unless yep. you're and, already tech savvy. And that's what Nintendo did too. But at least in their case, they just have the one. It Granted, it is a specialty bit. It's, I had to buy mine from a, a retro shop by my Wow, house. that's crazy. Yeah, I, I think it might even be a proprietary design. Probably. So yeah, they don't want you digging in their stuff, even if you know, you've owned it for a million years and you have every right to do it. Thank you, Sony, by the way, for just using Phillips heads. But yeah, it's just, they don't want you digging in there. And I never even mind like the the newer stuff because I remember watching, oh, there was this one YouTube channel where they used to go over there and break down like technology and stuff. Yeah, they still have a lot of those now. Oh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a really cool one. And uh, the guy had even said like how disappointed he was in terms of doing breakdown videos for newer systems because they're hard to get into for one. But then on top of that, to save space and cost and everything, most things they just glue together now. They don't really, yeah, they don't bother. If you open up like a PS4 or an Xbox one, uh, which are almost identical inside anyway, a lot of the stuff, they just glued it together. So Hmm. there's, you can't do anything with that. It's gotten to the point where for some of my systems, like with my original PlayStation, which your uh, your dad took me to get, and we and we got it Walmart with your mom's card? discount. Yep, that's amazing. Yep, uh, he went over there and bought me my first memory card and everything. That's amazing. Yep, I love my original PlayStation. I treat it as nicely as I can, but it's it amazing had, it still works. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and especially oh man, that's a whole thing I didn't even realize till years later. Like when it comes to Playstations, it's easy to think of it as just one model, but they changed things over time that were but just they still kept the, the same version. general design but it's like there's ones with rf cables available and Wait, stuff really? like that yeah <laughs> like the original uh playstation is actually highly desirable not only for collectors but also for like music and stuff like that because it has like direct audio that you can mm-hmm. plug into it but the original ones notoriously would burn out because the uh, they would overheat and they would destroy the laser 
Oh, so wow. that's why you'll actually, and I do have a couple like this that I picked up from Goodwill because when I go to these places and I see these orphan systems, I'd rather not have someone go over there and pick them up and destroy them or do whatever. So if they're a few bucks, I'll pick them up and repair them and do what I can. And I do have a couple. Keeper of orphan councils. Yeah, I, I have, <laughs> I genuinely have, I think, mm, 10 to 11 original PlayStations. That's insane. Yeah. That's and it's so cool. Like, and I it, never would have thought about it. Like, there'd be a graveyard of these consoles. Yeah. Especially PS1s. Not as much now, but just because they've largely been seen as disposable. Because again, PS2 can play PS1 games. PS3 can play PS1 games. So what did it matter? So I originally started doing it as a means to have potential backup parts for my PlayStation. But then being <laughs> the way that I am, where there's that collector's mentality and then just having a oddly sympathetic nature to this thing of nostalgia in my life. It just became this thing where it was like, I don't want to tear up this one to fix mine. It's a good system. Uh, but I do have a couple of them where there was a trick that people would do. And I had to look this up where if your system would overheat, you could go over there and take a PlayStation or original one, put it on its side or go over there and put it completely upside down. And that would help ventilate that excess heat. Huh. So there's a couple of my PlayStations that will only work if you turn them upside down. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's amazing. That's also what influenced the design of the PS2 and why it is capable of... Uh, standing vertically. Yeah, standing vertically. And Never any battle of technology and heat dissipation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, right? And, uh, but even with me going over there and trying my best to take care of my consoles as best I can, eventually, my original PlayStation, the laser started to wear out. And I would go over there and clean it off and work with it and stuff like that and work for a few months and then cleaning. And it got to the point where literally every couple of days I tried to use it, I would have to, you know, clean off the laser and I was getting increasingly diminishing returns. Wow. Which made me very sad. And mind you, and this was when I was in my late 20s. I had this thing for years and years. Mm hmm. Not only have I passed its intended lifespan, but then, but then on top of that... The fact that you kept it going for much longer is crazy. And then the fact that... Just the fact that these were hard years, folks. I, I played the hell out of this thing. I played the long RPGs and stuff. So this thing saw way more... Use time. ...than was ever intended. That thing was a marathon runner. Yeah. Like, literally. Yep. And, and at that point, it was like, well, I do have... I think at that point, I had four other ones uh, that I'd picked up and done work with and stuff. And I started naming one. And never mind the fact that, again, some of them are not even vaguely compatible. They might look the same, but they're completely... Inter internally, yeah, they're not the same at all. Completely different parts. That's crazy. And I, I went over there and I started looking for alternatives. And then I found out that they have this stuff called new old stock. Wherein these companies, Sony, Microsoft, whatever, they don't just make what's available. They build tons of stock up for potential things that they're going to use in the future. Buy in bulk. Exactly, yeah. Yep. And especially with Sony, with like lasers and stuff like that, obviously, you know, they make DVD players and all kinds of stuff. So they had tons of this stuff. So I was able to go over there and get a quote unquote new PlayStation laser that I could go over there and pop into my extremely old and worn down PlayStation, replace my old laser. That's amazing. And it runs like it. I just got it yesterday. That's you know. so cool that, you know. that these things somehow exist yeah. like that. There's a system that you can. Yep. And it's, and it's, you do run into problems when you start getting into more obscure stuff. The PlayStation is obviously hugely successful. Suck it, N64. Uh, but you have an N64? I do own an N64. I didn't own an N64 until I was in my mid-20s. Amazing. Because uh, I, I was a PlayStation kid. I, Same. I, I like, and I was a PlayStation kid because of you guys. Because yeah. you had a PlayStation before I did. Because, uh, again... 
poor. <laughs> and so I would play, I got to play it uh, at your place. And so I was already interested in it anyway. And then really the defining moment to bring it back to a whole circle. I was still considering getting an N64 because I was Nintendo. They had, you know, Zelda was looking really cool mm-hmm. and they had some neat stuff and everything. Uh, but then the defining thing for me was they announced Mega Man X4, which I love the Mega Man X games, the, the first four. And they announced Mega Man X4 for the PlayStation. And I was like, like I'm sold. I'm like, is the does the N64 get a version of it? And they're like, no, it's the controller is terrible and it would never actually work for that type of game very well. Uh, oh, so I forgot the 64 had that awkward as hell controller. It is. I was, I'm just going to go off on a brief rant here. And I know people disagree with me. The Dreamcast. I love the Dreamcast. Sega Dreamcast. Absolutely fantastic system. Sega Swan Song. Fantastic. One of the things that it gets uh, crapped on for, even by people who love it, is the controller design because it's unconventional to say the. I'll and, look for photos on the yeah. internet to show people the Dreamcast because it's a one-off. If you don't, oh yeah, I if mean, you didn't grow up with it or, yeah, or it, knowledge of it, because it was like nestled between the GameCube and it's it came out. I forget exactly what year it was released, but it was like around that generation. Nine nine ninety nine. Was wow. when it came out in America. That's a yes, oh, interesting. That was part of their marketing, and it. It came out after the 32-bit era, your PlayStation N64, Sega Saturn, mm-hmm. and it came out literally a year before the PS2 came out. Really? And the PS2 just fisted that thing, and it just... <laughs> it. And mind you, that's not... the Sony didn't kill Sega. Never mind, they're still around anyway, but they didn't kill Sega... Sega killed Sega with all their terrible business decisions, (laughs) but the Dreamcast was not one of them. At its point, even though it's considered a failed system, when it first came out, it had the most successful launch of any system at that time. So it did extremely well during its run, but then it just, everything conspired against it and it just failed. But the controller is very unique and they did a lot of cool things with it, but it, it, it is an odd controller. And if you're not used to it, it's it can be off-putting. I know for me personally, it was definitely off-putting the first time that I played it at my friend Mike's house. But the thing is, fundamentally, once you get past the design, it really does operate like a normal controller. It has a D-pad, it has the buttons, it's got a couple of triggers. It's just an odd design. The 64 controller, I feel, does not get nearly the hate that it deserves... <laughs> Because the N64 has a lot of nostalgia and a lot of beloved things associated with it. was a first in a lot of ways. (laughs) And in some ways the last because of good reason. And to its credit, the N64 was the first widely available controller that had uh, an analog joystick on it. The PlayStation would eventually go over there and do what they did best during that generation and do everything better than Nintendo. <laughs> when they came out, the DualShock controller, which was like, this is two. And the controller still really hasn't evolved all that yeah, much. They've just made little adjustments to it, just tweaking what you know needed to be tweaked and stuff to keep it prevalent. And But the N64 controller, man, that thing is just an abomination. It is, there's no, there's no good way to hold it in, and to, and to the people who defend it. I feel uh, like that should be the quote for this conversation. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just to rile everybody up who yeah. loves that control. Oh yeah. I go, I, I will, I openly, my whole thing, the N64 is a terrible system, but that doesn't mean I hate it. And that doesn't mean it doesn't have some great games. 
But it is a terrible system from so many perspectives. Bing. The controller is a huge one. And to the people who defend it, who are like, oh, but I played Ocarina of Time, I played Smash. So did I, folks. Okay, I would play them at my friend's house. I own those games now. Actually, I don't own Smash because it's expensive now. But I do, you have to understand, those games were purpose-built with the N64, with that mind. controller in mind. And to anybody who goes over there and defends it, you are, I, I don't usually like to use the term rose-tinted glasses because I think oftentimes it's used dismissively. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's not even it's not even a dismissive thing. It's actively a thing because when it came time for people, third-party developers, to develop for the Nintendo or the PlayStation, they're like, well, let's see. We could go over there and use develop our games based off this controller design that's tested from the previous generations of systems and that makes for sense for effectively every single type of game available. Or we could go over there and use this tripod like thing from a Tom Cruise movie and it's going to be, it's abysmal. It's a terrible controller. And that's why you'll actually see, and I own two of these where they have had third party markets since then that have redesigned oh, the really? N64 controller. There's a company called Retro Fighters. They have one. I have one of theirs. And then there's also a... I don't think they do it anymore, but I know there's like an offshoot. If you look up a controller called the Hori Pad Mini, which basically they went over there and they took, for all intents and purposes, a GameCube controller and went okay. over there and built a N64 controller around it. Okay. So it's better ergonomics, basically. Yeah, so much better. And and again, to, to even the GameCube controller was weird. The GameCube controller was weird, and I oftentimes hear that uh, a lot of people from that period of time, and th this one, I'm not going to die on that particular hill, but it, uh, the N64, I absolutely will come at, <laughs> come at me, world. That controller is terrible. Way worse than the Dreamcast controller. The uh, the GameCube, I have oftentimes, people from my generation, 800 million years ago, they, I've heard a lot of people who are gaming at that point in time who say that's like the most comfortable controller that they've ever used. I personally would disagree with that. I, but again, I'm admittedly Sony fanboy. I like the PS2 controller, the Xbox controller, the original one, the Duke, that old, chunky boy. Oh man, that thing. <laughs> I have one friend, my friend, Mike, who's the same Dreamcast guy. You have gorilla uh, hands to hold. Oh dude, thing. he loved it, man. Cause he was like, it's the only, he's, he's quoted on multiple occasions. He's, it's the only controller I've ever use where I didn't feel like I was playing with a kid's toy and because but he's 6'3 and he's got those hands mm -hmm. so it made sense for him but the GameCube controller is a fine controller it's just weird the way that they design certain things and for me personally my two big points of contention with it the I don't know the the exact buttons but the two top ones that are like oddly shaped like the shoulder buttons no, no the ones around this yeah the, the ones the around a button yes yeah exactly those for me personally when I would play games that were like very button intensive, probably my favorite of those being a game called Gotcha Force, which no one has ever heard of, but is obscenely expensive now. Yay me for getting it for $5. That is a game where you're constantly button pressing. If you're not, you're dying. That's all there is to it. Mm -hmm. And playing that game on that system, oh my God, did those buttons start to wear out my thumbs. Like hmm. I literally started developing new calluses because you know, I've got gaming calluses from playing uh different stuff mm -hmm. and I had to develop new ones because those buttons just using them so often started to tear into my thumb huh so that's my one thing and then the other thing is the and this is for pretty much any analog system I've had PlayStation controllers have done this too but 
for me personally with the GameCube, I found the analog stick on that very good. It tends to drift over time. And mm-hmm. I know for me personally, it got to a point where... I noticed I, that an entire generation of consoles like PS3... Yep. GameCube and the Xbox 360 all had oh, controller yeah. drift problems. And the and to be fair, you know, the GameCube is probably better than some of those because I got quite a bit of use out of mine before I had an issue with it, but nowhere near as much as like my PlayStation or what have you. I would go over there and I would play it and it would just get to a point where if I left the the controller idle, it would move to the right Yep, just all the time. And so what I personally did, because again, I, I have this, this weird sympathy for inanimate objects. I went over there. I, when I got mine, my GameCube, which I, I believe was the first system I ever bought with just my money alone. Wow. The PlayStation that I got with uh, your dad, that was Christmas money. So it was my money, but GameCube was the one where I was like, I worked for it. I had my own funds. And I got a platinum one. They had a platinum gold and silver oh, wow. one that came out. And it came with a copy of Metroid Prime, which I played for a total of a half an hour. Did not like the lock-on system and uh, sold it to GameStop, even though you weren't supposed to be able to sell it to GameStop. So there we go. And so I had the, the platinum GameCube. Came with platinum controller. Mine is very worn in certain areas from years of playing and everything. Uh, <laughs> not as shiny as it once was. <laughs> yeah, it's, it doesn't have quite the same luster. But when it started to drift, I was like, oh man, that, that sucks. This is a specific controller to a specific system. I could try to find another Platinum controller, but it's going to be more difficult than some of the other ones. Plus, I felt like I'd grown up with this controller. Oh, this was the controller I'd beaten my games with and stuff. So I went to the retro uh, gaming store by my house, Titan Games, by the way, in Villa Park. T-I-T-A-N, or no, T-Y-T-A-N, uh... I'm not sure if they're presently allowing people in with the whole COVID situation, but they're not. I went there and I talked to one of the owners and I was like, hey, I've got this GameCube controller and it's got some drift on the thing and it's not really properly functional anymore. And the guy's, dude, I got plenty of GameCube controllers. I'll I'll go grab one from the back for you, a $5 charge or something. I was like, no, it's okay. Could you go over there and take the internals of... The joystick. I wanted, I wasn't, at the time, I wasn't sure if they'd be willing to do that, even though they do actually do some repairs and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. but I knew that would be like a really involved thing. But I was like, could you go over there and take the internals out of a working one without drift and go over there and basically implant it into the case of mine? So that way, in some way, my, the internals might be there, but it was like an organ transplant for my controller. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and he said, it's gotta be the weirdest request I think I've ever had, but I completely understand where you're coming from. Let's do it. So that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> what you're doing is no different than someone refurbishing a car. Yeah. Like an old hot rod or yeah. something. And you just do it with video game stuff. Granted, it's not, it's not, I don't know cars. Let's say an old Mustang. That's yeah. a car. Yeah. It's not an old Mustang or something like that. It's these things. They made millions upon millions <laughs> of them and stuff. But at the end of the day, they're part of my life experience and they're, I, they still serve their function properly. They do a great job. And so for me personally, it's going back to, oh, there's a quote from Miyamoto Musashi, <laughs> old time samurai guys, book of the five rings. Good book. He remarks about the fact that if you're uh, some sort of tradesman or whatever, and you're working with your tools, so granted he was using it and refer, you know, referring to swordsmanship as a parallel, but he's like, you have to go over there and you have to take care of those things. So you have to appreciate what they've, you know, what they've done for you. And so for me, that's kind of how I approach it where it's, yeah, yeah. 
I could go over there and they have clone consoles and, you know, retrons Emulators and stuff and like that. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I could absolutely go over there and do those things. And I'm not going to knock people who do. I understand why some people go that route, especially if you're just getting into it, which God, this is a terrible time to get into it. So don't get into it. Plus that's more competition for me. But, but if you're just getting into it, it's yeah. If you're, if you just want to go over there and play some super Nintendo games with your kid, yeah, go get a retron. They're, they're fine. They do the job adequately. But if you're like me, where I grew up with these things, and again, I never got rid of them, it's no, there's a history that I have with them. And there's, even though it's completely irrational, it's yeah, there's that connection there. Yeah, I just, uh, I think it's, it says something about the, the era of the game, right? Like back then it mattered, the console was paired with the games and it said something about that state in, of the industry, because it says a lot about the technology of that time period and, and how all those designers and engineers thought about those, like what was possible. And in a lot of ways, just from my own explorations, it's like, to me, I the way I see it is video games wouldn't be, or t- computers and technology wouldn't be what it is today without gaming pushing technology to do more. Because without the game industry, we wouldn't get a lot of the things that we ha- everyone finds like commonplace yeah. nowadays. And I, we, and we, what, what that means is we forget about it in some sense. Like the hardware just becomes this auxiliary thing. You put it on the shelf and it does a thing. And then when it breaks, you just buy a new one, which is just as a symbol of our times, realistically. Yeah. But it says something more about what's going on for, from a historical standpoint of just understanding where things came from, like his, like legacy, right? Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. And to go off the famous quote, the necessity is the mother of invention. (laughs) Play is the father. That's, yeah, you can go over there and you can purpose build things that are strictly practical and only make sense. (laughs) That's fine. You'll probably end up with, I don't know, like a bunch of like harvesters and storing cubes of yeah just you know whatever (laughs) but obviously that's not what the human experience should be for most people (laughs) so of course we build things that are nonsensical that don't do anything but provide us with entertainment and gaming does go over there and it helps push the industry in certain ways you know pc technology and that is part of part of the appeal for myself and I know for a lot of other people in the retro gaming community and mind you, let me express, I am not quote unquote in the retro gaming (laughs) community. I, and that I, I I have no clout. I am not a person. And and mind you, that's not to distance myself from it. That's just me being understanding of who I am. I have, you know, I'm part of certain Facebook groups and stuff like that, but that's as far as I go. It's, I, I don't chill with James Rolfe or anything like that. He doesn't know who I am. Hi, James, if you're listening to this. Um, <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, just maybe randomly one day. But but for a lot of people who are part of, you know, the retro gaming scene, I guess is probably the better term for myself personally. It, it goes beyond like strictly for the playing and stuff like that. Because of course, the great the great trick of life that, that life plays on you is the fact that when you're a kid, you don't have the money to own these things and stuff like that. And then mm-hmm. by the time you're old enough to have it, you don't have time or energy to do these things. So yeah, I have lots of games that I own that I have yet to play that eventually at some point I would like to when I have the time. Yeah. But Uh, they're obscenely long at this point. (laughs) With movies and books and just everything. It's, I, I often joke, but I'm entirely serious. And if anybody would like to fund my, my means to do this, if I could just retire now, 
that'd be, I would be set for the rest of my life. I just, with the things that I have, I could go over there and just write it between movies and between games and every, I just, I'd keep myself occupied. No problem. You just got to start a streaming career. Just somehow, oh, yeah, I know, just, right? just somehow stream all these retro games. I'm not actually sure how you'd be able to do that. You can do it with like capture cards and stuff like that. Yeah. Everything. I'm just not sure how those systems would oh, behave yeah. with oh, capture dude, I, cards. I have no, I know it's doable. It's absolutely. Yeah, Cause there's absolutely, there's people who I watch who do it and stuff, but it, like, for as much as, again, me and my magical five <laughs> screwdrivers and my ability yeah, right. to take a couple of things apart, some of this stuff with the retro stuff, especially with the upscaling and things like right, that. Right, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, there's a guy named Adam Korolik who has a YouTube That's channel. That's got to be a whole nightmare in its own right. Oh, yeah. There's, uh, he's actually out of Chicago, and he does breakdown videos and, like, history videos and stuff like that. I, I like his channel. But he'll do, like, upscaling and stuff like that because it's not only... Are you trying to take things that were never intended to be played on very nice looking televisions and stuff like that and trying to make that work? I know. Uh, I had for a long time, my, my gaming, back before I was a collector or anything like that, my gaming TV up in my room in St. Charles, man, I had a TV that my mom had given me. It had a dial at one point. The dial had since fallen off somehow, meaning that... In order to turn it on, I had to plug it in and to turn it off. I had to. It also meant that if I wanted to change the volume, I had to grab a pair of tweezers and stick it where the knob used to have been and turn it to make it go. And I distinctly remember going over there at one point in time and talking with my mom when I was in high school and bringing up the fact that I, I was still using that TV. And she was aghast. And she was like, that thing was old when I got it. Why? And They make technology differently now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've since upgraded substantially since then, obviously. Though I wish, I, I so wish I'd kept that thing, man. I Just, I, just for added to the collection. Yeah, man. Just it's like, here's our history. Time period accurate yeah. setup. Well, <laughs> Well, and the thing is, is that even besides that, there's practical applications because like you were, like we we're saying with the graphics and stuff mm -hmm. like that, it's designed for that type of stuff to smooth out some of the rough edges, especially during the 32-bit era. But then on top of that, the two practical issues come in with the first one being any type of light gun games. Oh. If you try to play older light gun games on modern consoles, albeit they have, at least with, I believe, Duck Hunt, I want to say, there was somebody who worked out something where you can play an old school Duck Hunt on a modern television with the original hardware. But it's like a whole thing, and they haven't made right. expanded. But the technology for modern televisions does not support that. It doesn't work the same way. So if you have a modern TV and you want to play a light gun game, you physically cannot because it will not register the light input. I, I got to go look up that because it's, it's such a fascinating thing I yeah. never even thought about because I remember the first time I ever played that, I think we had like a Sega Genesis or something. And I remember like holding the gun and looking at it and like you're yeah. trying to shoot yourself. I'm like, oh, how yeah. does it work? Because you're like oh, six. Yeah. You're yeah, like yeah, six yeah. and you're like, I don't understand because like you shoot it off the screen. You're like, nothing's happening. Okay. Yep. Turn it toward the TV. Things are happening yep yeah i don't understand like when you're that age you're trying to equivalent things and it's just there's no equivalent no. it might as well be magic basically so yeah and it's so in school we would used to call electronics is when you blow something up it was oh you let the smoke out so now it doesn't work anymore <laughs> Exactly, exactly yeah it's, it's tongue-in-cheek but with, we, it, yeah. it's true to some degree <laughs> We, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly dating myself, although I've already done that multiple times over. But I, when I was 
a very small child. Grandma and grandpa, they still had a typewriter. Oh and my that God. was still a thing. Computers were not like just the, the go-to thing at that point. I really wasn't using a computer until I was like almost like end of elementary school was when they started becoming common. Yeah. And, I, and even I'm always a bad example because my dad was very much of the mindset of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm, that's but, just the Midwest. Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but man, but we took it to an extreme. Uh, it sounds like it. I you mean, know, you had a TV without a dial on it. Yeah, for, for years and years. <laughs> and But it was like, yeah, I didn't get my first computer until I was like in either late middle school or very early. I think late middle school, like eighth grade or so. Yeah. I think Aunt Gail or someone gave me like their, an old win- computer. Windows 95. Yeah. And then my, my next upgrade was when my friend Mike and his family gave away their family computer and they're like, oh, you can have, and and then eventually I got a good computer because my friend Mike, same friend, he got a very good computer because he went over there and got huge into gaming and mm. multi-screens and stuff. Ah, uh, yeah. And he's here, you can have my really good computer from five years ago that's still way better than most computers now. Yep. And I was like, cool, thank you, Mike, you're a good dude. Um, <laughs> that sounds about right. Like, yeah. And it's still, it's funny that it's still that way too for most PCs yeah. in general. Because it's, and for me personally, I, I've talked a lot about console gaming and stuff like that and PC gaming was never my thing because I didn't have access to PCs and stuff like that. I feel that. like it had a barrier of entry to Oh, absolutely it, it did. Because it, because like my parents are completely computer literate too and the uh, it was just like, it was a weird thing to go to ask my dad and be like, I need a better computer, yeah. dad. And he's like, I don't know what that means. The thing was, too, for the longest time, they've since ruined it for themselves because basically modern consoles are effectively PCs. Yeah. Know, there's very little difference. They're getting closer and closer yeah. together. But the one of the hugest advantages and one of the things that made console gaming so popular was ease of use. Yep. Because all you have to do is go over there and plug it into the TV. And even if you're stupid, there it's color-coded. All you have to do is plug it in there okay and, I, and i'm not throwing shade at anybody because like when i was a kid and i lived uh, our grandparents house and everything oh your dad was the one who set all that stuff up for me i didn't know what the, and my dad sure as hell didn't know what the hell, <laughs> and that's, it wasn't reptile related so he didn't but when we moved out right. to, when we moved out to st charles your dad wasn't there and my dad looked at my nine-year-old self and was like oh yeah you're the av cables yeah. back then i was trying to remember yep. i'm like that was pre-hdmi days and i didn't even do av cables i went over there and did uh Oh man, it was like the cable, uh, like you would, uh, the cable line. I can't think of what it's called now. Was it coax? Yes, coax. No way. I did coax <laughs> and I would go over there because with the coax, and I did coax for a long time. I literally had an adapter at one point in time to make coax work on a uh, TV I had that didn't have coax anymore. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> not realizing like video quality or anything like that. I just wanted to play video games. Right, uh, yeah. I would go over there and I would, with the coax, you could go over there and you could link multiple coaxes together. And so I would go over there and do that. And I, when I had my Genesis, uh, my SNES, my PlayStation, my, NE, my NES. And so I would like link all these things together. Plus it had cable on it and not realizing <laughs> that like this tremendously diminishes the video quality as it goes down the line. <laughs> and you could go over there. I could literally turn on every single system and watch my TV struggle to display all four overlapping at one time. Cause that's how that worked. Yeah. Days before switching outputs. And when it came time for me to figure these things out, it was just like, well, just figure it out. So 
So here I am, nine-year-old Brandon, plugging things into sockets. Man, I hope I don't die from this. And, yeah, I didn't. And, well, good thing there's no, not really any voltage that's going through. And, and so that was the thing. But now, like I was saying before, with the upscaling and stuff like that, even aside from the graphics, even aside from the light gun games, because maybe you're thinking to yourself, hey, I don't care about light gun games. I'm not a light gun game guy. There weren't that many light gun games anyway. Fine. It's perfectly fine. The other thing is that there is a slight amount of input lag mm -hmm. because it was not, those systems were just not designed with that technology <laughs> not in responsive. Mind. Yeah. And the thing is, they were perfectly responsive on their original equipment because it was built with that in mind. So mm -hmm. if you press jump, it jumped. Whereas, and now I will say this personally, because I don't, go that far out of my way to upscale my stuff. It's too much for me to invest in. Mm -hmm. And you're literally talking thousands of dollars if you want wow, to go into crazy. it. Wow, So I just play the original stuff off the original stuff. And with the exception of very precise games, like rhythm games and stuff, mm. it's probably going to be fine for you. But if you are, you know, if you do want that to be like as crisp as possible, there are things like the Frame Meister and stuff like that where you can go over there and do that and then hook that up to three other things and you can make these old systems look pretty crisp for what they are. But again, even for me being as crazy as I am, that's way too much to go into, let alone someone over there. That's another layer of the onion. Yeah, just <laughs> some guy going over to a retro shop and being like, I'm sure that my eight-year-old Billy would like to go play the original Super Mario World. <laughs> I think I'll buy this stuff. And that's actually a, a consumer thing that I will go off of as a tip to anyone who might be listening. If you are of that age, and I'm 34 right now at the time we're doing this, folks are having kids, they're doing things. If you want to experience those things with your kids, either do emulation, go off of a Play Store on one of the systems that you might be playing, a newer system, if you have one available to you, Something to that effect. Please do not buy original hardware and original software because inevitably what will end up happening is your kid will not care. And, and I don't mean that to be mean because there are, you know, some kids who do enjoy some of the older stuff and everything and good on you. You're keeping it alive, but Billy doesn't care, man. He's got other stuff to play and everything, even if he enjoys it for a little while and eventually what you're going to end up doing. And I, I had this happen when I was working at the, the gas station I would work on the video game stuff. And so people would ask me video game questions. And I had one guy who was a trucker who had come in and he wanted to go over there and he was a little bit older than me. He wanted to play Atari games with his kid. Mm. So he asked me, he's like, what's like the best way to make that happen? And I'm like, well, for one thing, don't get an Atari 2600. That'll be a nightmare to try to hook up. Never mind coax. Those things use the freaking forks. <laughs> but the Atari uh, 7800, which came out later on, is completely backwards compatible. Do that. Hmm. So he found one, bought a bunch of games was like, yeah. And then I came in. I was like, how'd it go? How did the things? He didn't care. He didn't care at all. Now, to be fair, the Atari games are tough to get into, but they can be fun. I feel like it's jarring. Oh, dude, it's... Someone who's... It, especially when you go back to that era, because the Atari is... That's old. I mean, you're, old you're, you're talking Pong. Yes. Maybe not Pong. Yet but. a little bit past Pong, but not by a lot. And, yeah. I, and I do enjoy some Atari games. Not hitting on Atari. Uh, I have a jack. I've listened to podcasts with the founder of Atari. Yes, yes. Guy's uh, a genius. Uh, Norman Bushnell? Yep. Yep. Guy's fascinating. He went on to found Chuck E. Cheese as right. well. The yeah. guy's a weird genius, yep. eclectic, and probably he, started Silicon Valley's he, culture. He is. Oh, dude, that guy, I've watched, because I've watched stuff on him too. Like, he is that perfect mix of brilliant enough and then lucky enough. Right. Because he's not <laughs> smart enough to make the things himself. 
but he's smart enough to recognize the people who can. And he's make money off of yes, it. Yes, <laughs> he's a Steve Jobs of video gaming. Yeah. Where Steve Jobs, everybody, man, Steve Jobs. The guy definitely had business vision. You got to give him that. He didn't build a damn thing, man. Steve Wozniak was the one who went over there and did all the hardware. There, there's always a Steve to a, or well, a Jobs to a Wozniak. Exactly. They're both Steve. But <laughs> and in Norman Bushnell's case, that was the case. He had a partner who basically did all the, I'm not saying that he didn't have any hand in it. But, but yeah, that is some really interesting stuff. Oh. But yeah, the guy went over there. He wasn't interested in it. This kid wasn't interested in it. Mm-hmm. And he tried to sell it to me. And I was like, okay, I'll, and, uh, I'll give you my best offer. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I didn't realize at the time. And it's still a thing. Like the Atari 7,800 has like the weirdest pricing imaginable. It is. It's just one of those things. Like the high end is really high. The low end is really low and there's no in between. And I, and hmm. no, none of it makes any sense. Even People when, just pull these numbers out. And yeah. Just... <laughs> even, even when I went to, uh, to Titan games and I literally asked their advice because I didn't want to, I, I tried to be as cool as possible with people and everything. And I didn't want to try to scam the guy or anything. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this is what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think about that price line? And they literally were like, that's like about, you know, $20 less than what we would charge. And even we don't exactly know the best way to do it. We just charge hmm. it for what we think we can sell it at. That's really fascinating. And I pitched, the, I, I made the mistake of trying to be overly honest with the guy. Cause I went over there and I'm like, here's the thing, dude. I'm like on the low end, you have this. And on the high end, you have this. I'm trying to meet you somewhere in the middle, a little bit more towards the high end, just a 52% that way. And he's like, why can't we do the high end? And I'm like, because I'm not going to go over there and pay you $500 for an Atari 7800 <laughs> and a few Atari games that are basically worthless. I'm sorry, dude. Unless you got a copy of Air Raid in there or something like that. No, I'm sorry, dude. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'll get back to you. And then never got back. Yeah, sounds about right. Because yeah. as soon as you say at the high end, someone's oh, yeah. gonna be like, wait, I can go get that much for and, this? And it's, dude, you missed the other part where I'm not trying to lowball you. Like, yeah. I could have gone over there and been like, well, this is the low end. I'm so willing- we'll start there because you can pay me now. Yeah, you know. So <laughs> or I can give you the money now yeah i was like no you know, I'll, I'll be cool with you and everything like that yeah you know? and it was just that's funny it's, it reminds me there's what was it high score i think it's called it's like a documentary series on yes. netflix yeah, yeah talking about all the like the history of gaming and different people who got into the i guess quote-unquote competitive scene before it ever existed yeah, yeah, just, yeah. like customer service before the internet yeah came out and so people had to call in they mm-hmm. had call centers and say hey i'm stuck on this level yep. help me figure this out um, <laughs> and doing those kinds of things i'm like that never even crossed my mind that would have existed but it makes sense they've outsourced that entire oh, thing yeah. to the internet Internet and they don't even have to worry about yeah. it anymore. <laughs> it, something that I was not personally involved in, because again, I didn't really get into PC gaming, even to this day, and it's not really my thing exactly, but but there there used to be a company, and they still exist in name alone, called Sierra. Mm. Uh, and Sierra, at one point in time, was the largest software company in the entire world. Bigger than EA, bigger than everybody. If you want a fascinating thing to go into, Hmm. absolutely look into the history of Sierra. Tremendously interesting. And they were known, they published a ton of stuff, but one of the things that they're primarily known for were like point and click adventure games, specifically like the King's Quest games, Space Quest, things like that. And I've discovered those as I've gotten older through people on YouTube and stuff like that. And they would go over there and like people who work there and stuff like that, the way that it worked back then was if you were over there and you were playing a space quest or what have you, and you got stuck because they were very puzzle based games and you could screw yourself up really easily if you missed something. Mm -hmm. 
And so if you're over there and you're six years old playing Space Quest or King's Quest or whatever, <laughs> and you can't get past a point because there's no game facts, there's no guides or anything. Yep. So one of the things that you could do was you could go over there and call a Sierra hotline and go over there and get actual advice from them. But of course it was like a 900 number. So it cost you like $50 a second. Oh my God. Something absurd. <laughs> but that was just how that was done. And that's crazy. Nintendo had that stuff too. They used to have, man, I, I personally, again, gamer cred, uh, but yeah, I guess I just was too good and I never <laughs> needed that. Or more realistically, I just would move on to a game if I could. Right. I, just, I never even thought that just was an option that yeah. you could call some and be like, hey, I'm stuck. I, I need help. I remember, man. I remember when like online stuff started becoming a thing for like video games and stuff and like game facts. And I was like, this is like the greatest invention of human history. This completely cuts out like all the nonsense. You don't need to buy a strategy guide. You don't. Oh my God. We used to have stacks of strategy guides. I, <laughs> I still have a number of them, man. Like I'll say this as much as I absolutely love the internet for its many reasons and hate it for many other reasons. I certainly use those tools for different things, but I will say I absolutely prefer all things considered a, a solid game guide. Cause not only is it physical thing and stuff like that, but you get artwork and yeah. you get like different things and stuff like that. So I've absolutely hung on to all my stuff for that. Cause it's just, and again, they're not perfect and people you know, be like, oh yeah, but this one sucks. Yeah, some of them suck. I'm not saying they do. Yeah. There's more personality to it than just looking up on game facts. And, yeah. You know, someone, and getting inundated yeah. with ads nowadays. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a lot a, of those, a lot of those websites are just, uh, yeah, cause they, they have more Google ads and content. Cause they, they've been around. I mean, game facts has been around for a million years. Uh, so they're getting to the point where they're old enough where it's, if you go over there and you, you know, bring it up to somebody younger, it's like, what are you even talking about? And then you think to yourself, well, what do you do if you get stuck in a game or something like that? Obviously there's a million different resources but nowadays it, you just find a youtube channel for yeah. your favorite youtuber who plays that game <laughs> or you could go over there and just play a modern game which are generally easier anyway because they're built to not go over there and be as challenging as they <laughs> used to be so i don't think that's a hot take that's a real thing i don't know what that is like i don't know why that's a thing it's strictly it's it, you see it literally in every aspect of consumerism in which it, Oftentimes something will start out with a certain intent in mind. And then as it achieves greater expanse to a wider audience, mm. you have to appeal to that many more people. And the, uh, when you go back to the Nintendo and stuff like that, those games had to be hard because of a lot of reasons, but part of it was because like most of those games aren't actually that long. If you know how to play them, but there's not that much. Yeah. Like once you content. got like the skill down, it yeah. was, you could power through them, but they were difficult. They taxed you. They made you, they made you really work for it. So yeah, you might go over there and play the game for quite a while. That's really interesting. Yeah. But it, it's the hot sauce comparison where, oh. where in, cause I love me some hot sauce folks. I absolutely do. And you know, the, we should do a hot ones challenge one day. Oh man. I would, I did, I did do the, I did, I did the one chip challenge on my YouTube channel. Oh, did you really? Yes, I did. No man. That was, I'll make sure I link it in the show notes yeah. so people can go find uh, your YouTube channel. Yep. That was a thing they did, but, but yeah, it, it's and what I mean by the hot sauce analogy is that if you go over there, they have obviously extremely hot sauces. Now, probably the two most prevalent would be like ghost pepper and then the reaper yep. sauce. And, you can go over there. I have a bottle of ghost pepper sauce. I got it back when the ghost pepper was still the hottest pepper in the world. And I being 23 years old was like, I'm going to live forever and nothing will ever hurt me. So I went over there and bought some of this stuff. 
And then I went up to the gas station where my friend Dan worked and we went over there and tried it on stuff and he got sick and I had to cover him for the rest of the night. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Sounds like perfect behavior. Yeah, exactly. That was exactly, that's perfectly professional behavior for an environment. Let's try this hot sauce. All right. Yep. Oh, Jesus. We had customers try it and stuff. It was fantastic. And we went, and that's the thing. It's like, okay, you have these, at this point, you basically brands associated with that name and a certain expectation. But... <clears throat> let's say you go to a given place. Popeye's did it. They had ghost pepper wings. Mm -hmm. What you're getting when you're getting those might be hotter than jalapenos or maybe even habaneros, but it's nowhere near what you're going to get with the actual stuff that like I've got in my fridge where it's just angry and actively is trying to hurt you. <laughs> and the reason for that is, is because they have to make it appeal to people. And for the stuff that I have, it's more of a gimmick. It's nobody would reasonably use that yeah. in their day-to-day -day cooking. It's, it's like the oh my god, what is it? Man versus food. Yes. It's like those kinds of things. Exactly. The one guy who went over there and actually ate a hundred slices of American cheese. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, that was pretty great. Not gonna lie, <laughs> I've never been so fascinated and bored at the exact same time. Uh, <laughs> But, but that's the thing. That's all novelty nonsense. Like, it's cool that it exists, but it exists for people to challenge themselves' yeah. reactions. It's one, it's one in a thousand people yeah. are going to want to do that. Exactly. Every once in a while, even for me, I'll go over there every once in a while. I'll use it on, like, a burger or something like that. But I freaking go over there and mix it in with ketchup or something. Right. You know, to, You're to, doing to, one drop to... Exactly. Because <laughs> I don't want to die. That stuff literally caused me to have a nosebleed the first time. Oh, that's why that stuff exists. But because it has a certain level of recognition. There's more it's gone people. mainstream, right? Yeah. As much as people hate the idea of mainstream. Exactly. <laughs> and so you have Popeyes or wherever who they want to tap into that and they want to have, have a little fun with it. But obviously they can't go over there and have it be so extreme that if six-year-old Debbie goes over there and eats it, she becomes the exorcist and explodes. Like that can't be the case. Sounds like a lawsuit waiting to happen. And so it's, yeah. And I had the ghost pepper wings from, mm -hmm. from Popeyes. Like I said, there it's mass appeal, and so it's the same. It's the exact same thing with gaming, where it's there's a reason why there's a term called NES hard because NES games, man, you had to work for it because that was the environment of the time. That was what was expected of games at the time. Mm -hmm. But now you have an ever increasing market. You have more and more people playing more and more different types of games, and on top of that, if you're over there with all of this access to it. And you're a little kid on your, you know, Xbox or KFC console. Oh, dude, if it actually... Well, or if it, it exactly exists, I don't know if it no actually... One, no one knows if it's a troll or not yet because they haven't officially said whether... Like, they're playing it like it's a real thing. If it does become a real thing and I have the funds to do it, I absolutely will. you got to have it. Just I to... would have to for the story alone because, man. And then you got to see if it actually keeps your food warm. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> I fully intend to play video games on it and use the chicken chamber because that's its official. I, I, I really want to. You should put a, a, like a Popeye's sandwich in it. It's just a mess with <laughs> yeah. it. Which, and to that effect, I recently went over there and tried the, uh, the KFC chicken sandwich. And compared it to the Popeye's chicken sandwich, that's also on my YouTube. But yeah, so that's... Amazing. Yeah, that's exactly why that happens, is it's just... Makes sense. Yeah. No, it, from a... And you see a lot of older gamers who get salty about it and stuff like that. Obviously, I went over there and I, you know, threw a little shade. But I don't hold it against... I certainly don't hold it against kids or anything like that. They don't make the games. The game developers make the games. Well, it's, if you think about it too, right? Like, back 
way back in the day, the people who were making games were people at the cutting edge, yeah. right? Like those are original coders. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So they're intelligent people yeah. already. So they're going to make a game that fits yeah. their and, way of problem solving and, almost. And one of the one of the most notorious games of all time is uh, E.T. for the Atari, going back to the Atari thing. Mm-hmm. And the guy who developed that, who developed a number of other good games for an Atari. Yars Revenge is an excellent Atari game. He went over there. He was tasked with making that game before Christmas. So he made it by himself. One dude. Oh my God. In three months. And he, he just, he didn't sleep or I think it was actually even less of a time timeline than that. That's insane. Uh, but that's how that used to be. It used to be the case that some of these games, you'd have a team of five people. Whereas comparatively now, obviously if you have a triple A game, it's a cast of thousands 20, of people yeah. to go over there and code it and test it and bug and theory bug test it. And Cyberpunk. yeah, so, <laughs> man. we don't have time. We don't have time to go into that one. Oh, but. Dude, I feel so bad for cyberpunk. I though. know. I love CD product red. So much potential. Just, just man, just, they just didn't have the time to quite get it. Yeah. So. Welcome to COVID. Yeah, Realistically. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's exactly where that stuff comes from. And it's, like I said, it's not, it's not gamers being soft or anything like that. That's the environment that they grew up in. And I don't, yeah. bl- I don't blame them for that. It's, it's easy for me to go over there and be like, Oh, I'm you know, back I'm, in my day. I'm a real gamer. It's like, never mind. I'm 34 years of like yelling at a freaking four year old <laughs> who um, can play on their iPhone. Now that has yeah. more computing power than, yeah, except I'm like me, my PS4, but yeah, right, exactly. All your original, yeah. like in the nineties, <laughs> It's like, that's not their fault. That's that's just what the, they grew up with and everything. It just so happens that you know, I grew up in a generation of gaming where most of the designers were sadists. And they were just like, man, this thing needs to be really difficult because they need to get the most out of their buck for it. And that's just how that was. And mm-hmm. yeah, man. So many stories, man. It's crazy. Yeah. I can't, I just, so many different ideas that it just, most people, when you think of video games, it's so surface level and people don't really think about what, for lack of a better phrase, but maybe it works really well here, yeah. what's going underneath the hood. Yeah. And, and it's just so fascinating. We have so many more topics. Yeah. I know we, we, we've been just going yeah, for a yeah, while yeah, here. That's another Wenzel thing. Oh, right I know, there, man. Just, we just go. I know. But these are the kind of things though, that I pride myself in being able to do on this podcast. Just talk about the things people are interested in. Obviously <laughs> you're really interested in video games. Yeah. yeah. I know a lot about it <laughs> yeah. and, and it begs mentioning to any potential listeners this was not intended to be strictly a video game related things we had about five other things we were thinking about talking yeah, about it was just finding ways to meander around and yeah, just didn't it, happen this time but it, that's okay it, yeah it just it, whichever one we had chosen that would have been the hour and 40 Probably. minutes you yeah know, it's just just happen to be and, video games. Yeah, and just to put a pin in a couple other things that we we're going to talk about, because we we're going to talk, like you mentioned your food channel or yeah. food reviews, I guess is the, yeah. the way you do it. So there's that. We, we'll put a pin at the end so when we, people can check you out on the internet. But your other thing is Kung Fu. And you yeah. mentioned it a little bit with Team Change Mutant Ninja yeah, Turtles, yeah, yeah. but if you just wanted to give a little brief overview or explain the appetite for whenever yeah. some future time where we can just go deep dive into that. So yeah, the, the long and the short of it, like I said, I grew up in a period of time when ninjas were kind of everything and that was just the thing. And especially when Power Rangers hit, the original Power Rangers, not Thunder, none of the newer stuff. So that's its own jam. But when the, the original one hit, man, it was like a cultural phenomenon and that was the first time, like, being a little kid where I saw this stuff, because I love the Ninja Turtles, Snake Eyes, all that stuff. And mm-hmm. That was the first time where I saw people doing this stuff. And I was like, I'm going to go outside, and I am going to axe kick until I can axe <laughs> kick. 
And I would go over there and I'd do it. Find a tree or a bush or something. I'd fall down a million times and look like an idiot, but eventually I got it down. And and so I, I really enjoyed that aspect of things. And then of course you had guys like Jackie Chan and stuff and everything. Oh. And it it was just this thing that I really enjoyed. And you know, I'd play fighting games and stuff like that. And I was always really interested in the mechanics of like martial arts and stuff. And again, in classic Wenzel fashion, I couldn't do anything half-assed, except most things that are like require responsibility in my life, of course. <laughs> but I went over there and I got really into the whole like martial arts uh, cinema scene and everything, really with a guy named Tony Ja in a, mm-hmm. in a film called Ong Bak, which just absolutely blew me away. And going from there, and then I literally, when people talk about like the slippery slope or when people talk about, oh, it's a gateway drug type of thing. Th- that was basically it for me where it was just like, I-, I started with Power Rangers, which is perfectly benign and there's robots and stuff. And then just went ever deeper into it, getting into old kickboxing movies and stuff that no, nobody in their right mind. I mean, you're one of the few people who is not a practicing capoeirist, but more about capoeira. Oh, yeah. I mean, Capi- you know, wait, I'm saying it wrong. Capoeira, there yeah. you go. Uh, then most people do. <laughs> and it's and I I love that stuff. And I don't, I, I, you know, with that said, I don't actively practice. I can throw a pretty decent high kick, especially for being a fat guy. That's my key, folks. <laughs> nobody expects the high kick from the fat guy. I get that once. <laughs> If I get into it with somebody, nobody is going to expect a kick to their head from me. I get it once. If I miss or if it doesn't down them, my only option is to run very poorly with my asthmatic fat guy self and then get the shit kicked out of me. So I keep that one in my pocket. Um, now, if someone wants to kick your ass, they know your statics before. But they don't know which leg. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like coming from the li- coming from the right or coming from the left. But yeah, I don't actively practice. So I would actually like to when I get things a little bit more stable in my life. But yeah, I, I just became a huge fan of martial arts cinema to the extent where now I, I don't have an accurate number anymore. The last time I had an accurate number was about seven years ago. And at that time, I was just under 700 films. Wow. Uh, and again, these are, again, going back to what we're to physical stuff. These are all on DVD minimum. Not quite willing to go into VHS just yet. Although there's some films that I might have to eventually. Man. But but I these are all physical things. For all those young people out there who don't even oh, know what VHS is anymore. <laughs> oh, man. Count yourself lucky, folks, man. I know. Video quality, remember, not the best. Remember what, rewinding things? Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> Be kind, rewind. No reason for that anymore. I still remember the first time I got to use a, a CD player over at my cousin's. And I went over there and I was like, how do I rewind it? Like, she was like, you don't have to rewind it. You can you can skip things. And it blew my mind. So yeah, at the time, like I said, I had a little under 700 films. And uh, whereas now, conversely, like I said, I don't have an accurate number, but eight years, seven, eight years or so of, of acquiring films, I'm sure I'm probably somewhere in the range of doubling that. It's 1,400 or so. Definitely over 1,000. Literally going across the entire spectrum of... From the old school days of the Shaw Brothers and Golden Harvest, Wuxia films, kickboxing movies, artsy films, terrible films that were made for $20 in some guy's uh, garage. And I'm not kidding on that one. No way. Oh, man. 
Wow. I actually, if anybody does decide to check out my YouTube channel back before I did food reviews, there's a whole bunch of old concert stuff on there from concerts I go to because I like concerts. But going way down when I originally started my YouTube channel, I did a uh, series of videos called I Know Kung Fu dot 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 question mark where I would talk about Kung Fu movies and martial arts movies and all that stuff. Yeah, so I, it's one of my great passions. <laughs> Literally will be something that when I leave here today, I will go home and pick out something to watch because that's... That's I, your version of Netflix? Yeah, exa exactly. And to all the folks, if you enjoy streaming, like I have Amazon Prime, I've got the things and stuff. I don't have Netflix, oddly enough. I, I have a couple of them. It's perfectly fine. Reason why I will always go physical is because they are not going to have half the crap I own. Because half the crap I own is so obscure that they it wouldn't be worth it for them to acquire it in any way. <laughs> All right? There is... Because you might go over there. You might go over there, folks, and you might just offhandedly want to watch one of the Blood Fist movies starring kickboxing legend Don the Dragon Wilson, personal friend on Facebook. You might want to do that. Biggest feather in your cap ever. Yeah, he friended me. <laughs> that blew my mind. Thank you, Don the Dragon Wilson. You're very nice. It's amazing. From Illinois. No way. But you might want to watch one of the Blood Fist movies, and they might have number one or number two. They might. Because at the end of the day, they were blood sport knockoffs. No two ways about it. Don the Dragon Wilson admits it. They might. But they made Eight Blood Fist movies, folks. And I can promise you Netflix does not have all eight. I have all eight on DVD. I can watch anyone in any order. And you can marathon them. Yep, I did. I did for one of my I Know Kung Fu movies. I did a review of all eight of them in a row very quickly. So, yeah. That's amazing. That's the thing. Yeah, honestly, that's probably a good place to start wrapping this one up. Yeah. Just go ahead and do you have a name of your YouTube channel? So, the my the, literally the name of my YouTube channel, uh, because I wasn't thinking about doing anything overly creative with it it's just brandon wenzel uh, b-r-a-n-d-o-n-w-e-n-z-e-l it'll uh, be the name of this podcast and i'll have in the show notes yep or it'll be in there so uh, <laughs> you'll if, see it if you're going over there and searching for anything like i said there's a lot of concert videos in there and stuff they're cool to watch but probably just to me the name of my food review show is brandon sampler it's where i go over there and i find i go over there i try out food and drink items and stuff and then i use that as fuel to talk about the stuff that i just tried whether it's for consumer reasons or just to go over there and watch me do stupid stuff. Yeah. It's get whatever you want. Just burger it. reviews too. Every so often when yeah. that was a thing, yeah. not really a thing right now, but it's, it still is to a certain extent. In fact, I'm potentially, I'm not going to say exactly where, just because of some of the publicity has been a little bit iffy with them lately, but I, I am planning to potentially go out and try one because they are still available most places for takeout. Okay. The only reason why on my end, the burger reviews have stopped and I don't do those on my YouTube channel. I, I do written reviews on my Facebook page. Okay. I wasn't sure if they yeah. do the videos. I think it was just in regards to those. I actually have probably something to the effect of 15 to 20 pictures of burgers and stuff that I've tried and everything that I have yet to do reviews for just because the reviews being that they are written reviews take me a lot longer than going over there and doing a video or something. So I have to be in the mindset to sit down and, you know, type up paragraphs. <laughs> Writing is hard. Yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoy the final product, but the actual act of doing so I hate tremendously. As, as most people who force themselves to write. Do. Yeah. Very common. But honestly, this, I knew this was going to be a fun conversation anyways, going into it. Cause there's, as we could, 
tell. There's more than enough to flip over here and just talk about different things that you're interested in or just in active exploring. We have more than enough content to go into rounds probably two, three, and four between music and the kung fu, just scratching that even further. But this was fun. And I just appreciate you making the time to come on here. I enjoyed it tremendously. (laughs) I appreciate the fact that I, I am... Probably, given that I've I've gone through some of your older episodes <laughs> and looked up some of the some of the other topics, the gene splicing, the prosthetic arms, and stuff like that, I would like to hereby immediately proclaim myself as the least qualified human being <laughs> who's ever been on your channel because effectively, Brandon Wenzel plays games, eats stuff, watches kung fu <laughs> movies. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. What with the cousin association and everything, I probably could have gone over there and guilted you into it. That was nice to be on anyway. So. I mean, the, the whole point was most podcasts, at least now that podcast has become the bee's knees, I feel like everyone has a podcast nowadays. Yep. But me, for me, the idea was that the act of having a conversation, everything, everyone has something that they can share yeah. and explain not only whatever they're interested in, but you can learn something from their story. Yeah. Whatever that may be. And it doesn't matter that maybe it is in quotes, just video games or just Kung Fu, but it's like what Mushashi would say, right? It is in your craft that you find the way yeah. and whatever the way is unique to everybody. Yeah. And so that's why I don't care who you are. It doesn't yeah. matter what pedigree you, you have. Yeah. It helps you know. that we're cousins. But, yeah. You know, it yeah. does help. But if for <laughs> me, I, I I just decided to do this in this. I had a group of friends who like talking yeah. about things and we said, sure. And now I'm almost in three years of doing this thing. Yeah. And like you said, the, the guests that I got on, it's just as crazy that it's happened and yeah. I continue to do this thing. And it's still just as fun as it was three years ago. Yeah. Well, and, and, and to your absolute credit, all joking aside on my end of things, mm-hmm. as far as I, I love self-deprecating humor because <laughs> If you can't laugh at yourself, folks, you're going to have a hard life. Oh, yeah. I, I Whatever I add to whatever, if anybody can take away anything from, you know, what I have to say about anything, fantastic. If nothing else, though, my fantastic cousin has on people who talk about all kinds of super crazy cool stuff and everything. And to your tremendous credit, you've gone over there and you've taken this thing, you know, that, and, and like you said, every, everybody's got a podcast. I had a podcast a million billion years ago. <laughs> I think the website's available anymore that used to be on. That's amazing. But you went over there, you took it and you've used it as not only, like you said, it's about conversation and stuff like that, but you've also used it as a platform for learning mm-hmm. and as a means of going over there and not just promoting your own interests, which I think is what the vast majority of podcasts are because you just build off of that but giving so many people a platform to go over there and just talk about the things that they're interested in or what's prevalent in their lives and and that really is a fantastic thing and i Mm -hmm. like i said that's absolutely to your credit and you know with no uh, no joking whatsoever (laughs) it's absolutely my distinction and my personal honor to be on your on your show well it's my pleasure honestly regardless of the family relation it would have been a no-brainer if someone was interested or anything like that and a lot of the people that have been on here are just people because i i know something about them that they're interested in and i'm like we should talk about that because most of us especially growing up most of us couldn't really talk about these things without being labeled nerd or outcasted in some way and you had a very tight-knit group of people where you couldn't really be and now it's cool to do the, a lot yep. of these things, which still feels weird in a lot of ways. Like, yep. I remember being made fun of for liking Star Wars as much as I did. So oh, yeah, now it's, yeah. Th- the idea to that I could have ever said anything about a collection and, and not anyone look weird at me, like, 15 years ago, yeah. would have been insane. And now when people come down here and yeah. they 
literally, can I take photos? Can I like videotape this? I need to send it to a hundred people. And shameless plug, I haven't said this anywhere, but a website is in progress. I own the domain, the starwarsroom.com. Hey, there you go, um, folks. And my dad's collection will have a place as it rightfully should have many years ago on the internet. I can't attest to it's fantastic. It's absurd. If, I guess this is just saying something about our family. Last time we counted, there was probably around 2,000 figures in the room. There's probably more than that yeah. now. <laughs> probably around 2,500 or 3,000, not counting custom things. More figures than I have kung fu films, and that's saying something. Yeah. One day, I'd, I got to get my dad on a podcast or something, just yeah. talk about the Star Wars room and yeah. just talk about star wars in general and just have that exist on the internet because i think it's i don't know maybe it's just something about our family but we do a lot of things intrinsically and my dad was one of those people it still is one of those people like he doesn't do it to for notoriety or anything like that but it's just i think that's part of it though like part of being human is just doing things you enjoy yeah and whatever you get out of them and it's those are the things that i'm not going to say it's necessarily the things that make life worth living but it's the things close yeah it's close yeah no it really (laughs) is it is because like I said, otherwise it's just it's just combines and freaking uh, mortar and pestles and stuff. Clock like, in, clock out. And yeah, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just that's all it is. You got to have that contrast in your life. And with, with us Wenzels, we just take it and we run with it. Whatever yeah. we're into, <laughs> we go with it. We really do. Yeah. Well, not to keep going because we're, now we're encroaching that two-hour mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is a lot of fun, and maybe people will be shouting from the rooftops for a round two or to go further or be excited for when there is a round two because yeah. I'm sure there will be. We're related. It's pretty likely at some point in time yeah. we'll end up interacting. But until next time, everyone. Yeah, bye, folks. I wanted to take some time here and talk about how you, the listeners, can support Feeding Curiosity. I've always believed in providing more content to whoever listens to this of value than what you'd ever pay for. I don't like the idea of having to sponsor myself with products I don't use or believe in. If it's something I use and believe in, then sure, I will talk about it and I will do everything I can to do that. And I have done that on this podcast before. Not sponsored, but I've talked about many products that I believe in. But in the aims of choosing to create a new model that I believe in and that we should all be striving for is breaking ourselves away from the subsidized model that ads provide. And so with that, we have turned on the uh, anchor.fm support structure, which allows you, the listener, to subscribe to our content at the level of your choosing. That is either a 99 cents, $4.99, or $9.99 a month, meaning that you the listener and me, the creator can be transparent about how much value you see in our content. And by doing so that allows me to have more resources to ever increase the quality of this content. And that's not to say I won't be doing this anyways, but it breaks me out of the loop of having to worry about those things because there is a lot of time that goes into this podcast, but I love it. And I hope that by you choosing to support the podcast, you know how much I care about the quality of this content. And so with that, everyone, thank you all for listening, and I hope you enjoy.